Good morning. Well, if you've got a Bible you, or on your phone or a physical one, then you can find uh, Matthew 8, chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going through a series in Jubilee, if you're visiting us, in the book of Matthew. This account of Jesus... And we're into chapter 18 today. And so the, the, the passage really is chapter 18, 1 to 35, but I'm not going to be reading it all. We're just going to be reading half of it this morning, uh, but I'll be speaking on all of it. And so as we've been going through this series in Matthew, we've seen um, different uh, parts of Jesus' life. And really now um, we're into um, the fourth block of, of, of five blocks of teaching that Jesus did separately through, through, through his ministry uh, that particularly Matthew focuses on. So we're in the fourth teaching block. And, it, and really this fourth teaching block um, that Matthew is highlighting, that Jesus is talking about, is really about how we treat one another and how we belong to one another as the church. It's interesting we're doing this topic on Pentecost Sunday, the birth of the church and being churches together. And so this is what Jesus is speaking into as we read this morning. He's, he's kind of prepping the foundations for what community life is meant to look like, our community life together as Christians. Uh, so let's read uh, Matthew chapter 18. And we're just going to go to 1 to 14, but the words will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung round their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of such things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through who they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see their f the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go and look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven will, is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. Wow. Have you ever heard the term goat. We're in the northeast, aren't we? So it's goat. Have you ever heard, heard the term goat? Yeah, not, not, not the goat, not, not goats, not the, the animals, but you know, it's kind of this phrase that people use, don't they? And they might have a little emoji of a goat 
And it's, it stands for the greatest of all time. You know, who is, who is the GOAT of NFL? Uh, who, who, Tom Brady, okay. Who, who is the GOAT of um, basketball? That, yeah, who's, who's the GOAT of, of football? Who's the greatest of all time? Of, and people might say it about sports people or actors or musicians. Who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time? And, and it's kind of what Jesus' disciples are asking, really. Who is the goat? Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in this kingdom? Uh, because Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talked about it a lot in Matthew. And really, when we hear that, we kind of go, oh, that's about when you die. Oh, that's about, you know, when I die, who's going to be the greatest? But when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's really talking about the place where God rules. The place where God rules. And, and Jesus is saying, look, this new way of living, this new community that I'm forming, that I'm uh, bringing to the, you're now part of, is part of the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are saying, well, okay. Okay, so this kingdom of heaven, so who's the goat? Well, obviously, they obviously, obviously know Jesus is, is the ultimate goat. They're going, yeah, you are the greatest. Obviously, you're the greatest Jesus, but after you... You know, who's great? Who, is it, is it, which one of us is it? And how do we do it? See, the disciples are about, they're thinking in terms of status. They're thinking in terms of, uh, you know, importance in the community, respect. They're, they're so influenced by their culture because that's what their culture told them. And it's still important for us today, actually. We still think often in those terms culturally, don't we? Perhaps you've come from a culture that thinks a lot about status and a lot about respect in the community. I think that's, that's still quite true in the West as well. How we're seen or how we uh, uh, compare with others. How do we compare? How are we seen? <coughs> respect. Status. And Jesus, what does he do? He sits a child. He sits a child in the midst of them. And he says, hey, look, you need to change. You need to become like this child. See, what's he saying? Well, in, in their day, children were seen in a very different light. Children were, were they didn't have any influence. They didn't have any status. Um, they had no importance. Children were there to be looked after, but certainly not to be looked up to. That'd be crazy. Uh, the ex-bishop of Durham, Tom Wright, says, he, he says, up to a certain age, children were just called its. There wasn't even anything in the language to, to define them as she or he. They were just its up to a certain age because that's how, how important they were. They just weren't important. See, Jesus here is not saying, look, become more childish. He's not even saying have childlike faith, although that's important as well. And I think you can kind of draw that from the passage. I think what he's saying is this. He's saying, embrace the low status of a child. He's saying, when you think about who's the goat, you need to change your thinking. So this is what our friend Martin Charlesworth, um, who leads a church or led a church down in, in Shrewsbury, said this. He said this about this, this, this account in Matthew. He says, Jesus' kingdom is not going to be based on hierarchy, power structures, power grabbing, seeking importance, seeking prominence, and self-promotion, his kingdom is going to be about serving other people. 
I love that. And Jesus wants them to, to, to know what greatness in this new community, this community of people, is going to look like. And we need to know what greatness in this new community is going to look like. And I believe this morning God wants to give us a renewed passion for his people, for you and I, what it means to be the church together. And so three things, briefly, as we go through this morning. Um, three things we're going to be looking at, looking at ourselves, looking at others, and looking at God. So Jesus, he says, look, you need to be careful not to cause others to stumble. These little ones to stumble. And here he's kind of changed what he means by little ones. So he's not necessarily now talking about children. He's kind of changed the metaphor. He's now talking about those who believe. So he's talking actually about all of us. He's talking about anyone who has decided to believe in him. And perhaps your translation may say sin causes any of these little ones to sin. But stumble, as far as I understand, is kind of closer to what the original says. And it's probably more of a helpful picture to us. You know, our, our, our actions towards others can sometimes be like objects we leave in the path. And they just cause people to stumble and trip over them. Or, or maybe our attitudes can be as if we are just kind of clipping someone's heels and, and causing them to stumble in their walk. See, we can do it to one another, can't we? You know, imagine, imagine you're talking with someone about someone else and you're talking, imagine you're talking in a really unhelpful way, a really unkind way, a really cruel way about someone else. And another Christian overhears you and they think, well, oh, oh that's, that's how you do it. That's how you talk about other people, is it? Oh, okay, right. What, what have we done? We've caused them to stumble. We've caused them to stumble in their walk with God. Or we can cause ourselves to stumble, Jesus says. We can cause ourselves to, to stumble in our walk with God. And he kind of uses some really extreme language. He says, look, if that's you, if you've, if you've caused someone to stumble, if you stumble yourself, it'd be better if, if, if a massive millstone, like the biggest millstone, was put around your neck and you were sailed out to the deepest part of the sea and dropped in there. And he says, it's better if you, you chopped off bits of your body. Can you imagine that? Deforming yourself. He said, that's better than what you're doing. Why is Jesus being so extreme? You know, is Jesus into capital punishment? Is Jesus into self-mutilation, cutting off bits of your body? Well, no, no. He's getting our attention. Has he got your attention? As you read those passages, as those verses, does he get your attention? Because he wants it. Because he's deadly serious about our actions and about our attitudes and how they affect ourselves and how they can affect others. So he wants us to look deeply at ourselves. Take decisive action when we need to change. And he says, look, that's greatness. Doing that, that's greatness. In fact, I was once told the greatest thing to do is when you are um, tempted one way, do the other. You know, perhaps you're tempted to cause someone to stumble. Well, do the other. 
encourage. Do the opposite. You know, there are plenty of people. To, there are plenty of people who need. We all need encouragement, but particularly now, there'll be plenty of people who need encouragement, whether it's exams, whether it's you know, things that are going on in family situations, whether it's you know financial stuff that's going on in your life. There are plenty of people who need encouragement. Listen, go there. When the devil tempts you to to cause someone to stumble, encourage, encourage. Okay, so looking at ourselves, but also looking at others. And Jesus says, see that you don't despise one of these little ones. So we're meant to look around at those around us and know that they're loved by God. Know that they're loved by God. And he says, he says this, that they're angels in heaven, they're, they're these kind of heavenly beings that always see the face of God. And he's using this picture of, uh, it's a picture of a, a kingly court, you know. There's, there's only the most privileged, only the most trusted get to see all the time and get the constant attention of the king. It's a bit like the last few days, isn't it? We've got a glimpse in, as it were, to our royal family. And we get this every now and again. We get to see in and see what they're like. And, you know, see some funny things and see some other things. But we, we, we don't have constant access, do we? We have face-to-face access all the time. See, we can either, when it comes to kind of uh, angels and God's heavenly beings, we can either do it two ways. We can either downplay the fact that God's got armies of heavenly angels, heavenly armies at his disposal that he can command at his word, we either downplay that or we get too interested and we kind of think about, oh, there must be a guardian angel. I must have a guardian angel. Who's my guardian angel? And I wonder what his name is and I wonder how I call on him and all that kind of stuff. Listen, we're not to think about, you know, oh, we, we access God through angels. We're not to think about, oh, well, actually, we worship angels even worse still. But get this, and this is, again, Tom Wright, Bishop of Durham. He said this, in Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah encounters God. And he says there's heavenly beings, seraphim, heavenly creatures, who are covering their eyes with their wings because they can't look on God. They're covering their eyes. They can't look on the goodness, the glory of God. But get this. Jesus is saying, look, if you know me, if you're loved by me, if you're a Christian, there are angels in heaven that have the constant attention of God, who can look on his face, see his face, and that's how much you're loved by God. That's how much you're loved by God. Listen, maybe you you think of your community group or a serving team you're on or people you're sat next to right now. Do you know what? That's what Jesus is saying. They are loved by God. They really are. They are loved by God. And they, too, have access to him, personal access to him. 
Listen, if you're a Christian in this morning, you have personal access to God. There's an open heaven as we were singing this morning. There is an open heaven that you can approach the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and know that he's for you, that he loves you, that he hears you. And it gets better. It gets better. It says God's like a shepherd. And, uh, you know, we think of this story of the, the lost sheep, don't we, in terms of people who don't know Jesus and uh, the f- finding Jesus and uh, Jesus finding them, and that's wonderful. But in this context, he's talking about the church. He's talking about you and I and saying, actually, God is like a shepherd who goes after the one who wanders. Listen, if that's God, if that's God, if he's the one that goes after the one who wanders, if he goes after the one, leaving the 99, how should we be? Listen, we should be the same. You want to be great? Go after the one sheep. Go after that person who's struggling, that person who seems to be just kind of drifting in their friendship with God. Go after them. Don't think someone else would do it or, well, there's 99 others. No, no, go after the one. I know that's my story as a young teenager drifting from God, just thinking, I'm not interested in God anymore. Why should I be? And someone going after me, going after the one, ringing me, pestering me, (laughs) taking me to youth group. Come on. I think you'd really love it. Come on. He went after the one. Let's be the same. Let's do the same as our Heavenly Father and go after the one. Finally, finally, looking to God. Looking to God. Peter, so Peter's asking about forgiveness. Says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, no, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. See, in the culture of the day, and in um, uh, uh, the kind of religious tradition of the day, up to three times forgiveness was acceptable. That was enough. You could do that. So, G- so Peter here is probably thinking, well, I'm being quite generous. You know, I've doubled it and added one. That's pretty good, isn't it? Seven times. And Jesus is saying, no, no, not, not seven times. 77 times. And this is not Jesus' view on a number. He's not saying, look, count 75, 76, 77, write you out. No, no, he's saying, no, it's symbolic. He's saying it's not about a number. It's about a heart issue. It's about our hearts. And then he tells this parable, this parable that really goes to the heart of forgiveness, which um, we haven't read this morning, but you can read in your own time. It kind of carries on from our passage in chapter 18. But he tells this parable of a king who forgives a servant a massive debt. And his servant, this servant, can't even forgive his friend or another servant, the littlest, the measliestness, mees- littlest <laughs> debt. See, the debt that the servant, the king forgave, they say is like 20 years worth of wages. It's, it, this guy, this servant is never going to be able to pay it back. It's 20 years worth. And yet, the debt that he can't forgive his friend or his debtor is one day's wage again it's it's like one of these extreme pictures from jesus 20 years one day 
And Jesus is saying, look, as Christians, look, the motivation for forgiveness of others, forgiveness of those around you, being a forgiving community, is realizing that we're forgiven more than we can ever pay back. We've been forgiven more than we can ever pay back. Listen, I know forgiveness is not always easy. It's not always easy in a community. It's not always easy when we have experienced hurts or when we've experienced trauma. It's not always easy when we've been treated in a certain way or actions have been done to us. I get it. Forgiveness is not easy. Yet Jesus frames it. He frames it in the debt we owed God through our disobedience, through our rejection of him, through our dishonoring of him, what the Bible calls sin. He frames it in that, that we were guilty before God, that we owed a massive debt to God because of our rejection of him. And yet, listen to the words of Colossians chapter 2. This is Paul speaking, which I think speaks right into this. He says this, when you were dead in your sins, he says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which, he stood against, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He's forgiven it. He's forgiven it, all of it. He's taken it away and nailed it to the cross. He's forgiven it all. Really? Yes. He really has. As we were singing again this morning, no, no, no guilt in life, no fear in death. He's removed it. He's removed it from us and forgiven us. Listen, this is what the um, African Bible scholar Joe Capolio says. Um, about this passage and about this parable. He says, This parable reminds us that our moral debt to God is incalculable. But God in Jesus Christ has provided a way by which all our sins can be forgiven. Whatever debt other human beings owe us, it cannot compare to the debt we owe to God, which he has forgiven. And we should follow his example of grace and learn to forgive. Listen, that's the power that enables us to forgive others, to be a forgiving community. It's by looking to God first. It's looking to him. That's the, that's the power. In fact, that's the power that comes for all this stuff about community and being a spirit-filled community, being a community of people together. That's where the power comes from. It comes from knowing who we are, knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we're beloved sons and daughters of God. That's where the power comes from. It, no, it's about knowing we're his forever, secure in him. That's the truth. See, and it's not just that we look at God. It's that God comes and lives in you and I, his sons and daughters. By the Holy Spirit, he comes and empowers us to live out this life. By the Spirit, he comes and fills us and empowers us. See, that's God's plan. That's God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. See, it doesn't just stop at the death and resurrection of Jesus. Actually, fills his people and sends them out with his good news. Communities that display his glory and his goodness. And, you know, in Jubilee, we have this vision that 
We're called to be multiple communities across Teesside. You know, we love meeting here, but it's not just come on all of Teesside, come to this one building and come in. No, no, we believe, we believe that we're called to build community after community across Teesside. Not just services or, or meetings, but communities of people where people can come and encounter the living God, encounter the God who loves them and longs to forgive them and bring them into his kingdom. Listen, that's how people will know. Jesus said, didn't he? This is how people will know that you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. There's something about being a community of people together that then displays Jesus to the world. And that's what we know we're called to be, Jubilee. That's what we know church across Church after church across Teesside is called to be too. And it will be a joy to gather with many churches across Teesside tonight at the parish church. Hmm. See, there is nothing as attractive, there's nothing as beautiful as the church being the church. Let's be passionate about the church being the church, the people of God, honoring him, loving him, displaying him to the world. See, that's true greatness. That's true servant leadership to the world. It's helping people encounter the ultimate servant leader. Helping people encounter the one who didn't remain in heaven, didn't see, oh, you know, I'm just going to watch my people making a mess of things and rejecting me. No, no, he came to us. And in Jesus, he lived the perfect life, died the perfect death on a cross for you and I. The death we deserved, he took, forgiving everything. Listen, we're going to celebrate all he has done for us, all he is to us, and all he continues to be to us. We're going to do that as we break bread and take grape juice and take bread and celebrate what it means to be a people, a community with Jesus at the center, honoring him. So if the band could come up um, and just play as we take the bread and the wine. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you're perhaps from another church or another denomination or whatever it might be, we would love you to break bread with us. We'd love you to take the bread and the wine as a, as a symbolic act. that We're one together, aren't we? But I think there's something else very special in the breaking of bread as well. I think it's, it is very much symbolic, remembering what Jesus has done for us, remembering what he did 2,000 years ago. And churches across church, you know, number of churches around the world will be doing this this morning, joining us in it. But there is a sense that as we do it, Jesus is with us. And he calls us to feast on him. And he calls us to look for our satisfaction in him and come to him. So as we take the bread and the wine, you might want to pray with someone next to you. You might want to just do it on your own, however you want to do it. Let's come and feast on this Jesus. So let's do that together. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for all that you have done. We want to thank you for your sacrifice for us. We want to thank you for your great love for us. And so we remember that as we take the bread and the wine, as you said we should to remember all you've done. But as we do it, we know that you're here amongst us. We know that in a special way, you come and call us to feast on you. There's feasts, there's feasts all around this country celebrating 
Jubilee this weekend. The feasts of people gathering, but this is the ultimate feast. This is the, this is the one that really counts. As we remember you and as we again put our trust in you. And so, Lord, be with us as we take the bread and the wine. Thank you for this wonderful community. Thank you for this community that cares for one another. Thank you for Alan. Keep coming to Alan and Joan, even now, whether they're out in the back or uh, on the way to, to some other care. Lord, be with them. And Lord, be with us this morning. Amen.